This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Bastard child of the Heritage Radio Network, Arts and Seizures, Mike Edison, Pizza Rumba is out on the road with the Flesh Tones, and I'm here today with local legend, one of my favorite illustrators, former screw cover artist, and much, much more, here to attack liberal hypocrisy, <laughs> at least. Wait, what show am I on? And, yeah, get, get ready, all you Hillary and Bernie bros. All right, get ready, because we're, we're, we're tearing down the wall like Joshua. The walls are coming tumbling down today. I'm here with Danny Hellman. Let's hear it for Danny. And we're celebrating also his new book, Resurrection Perverts, Hunter's Point, which, which is a truly fantastic graphic novel. I'm... I mean, I read it and I was very captivated. And my one complaint is there wasn't enough. It is a cliffhanger, uh, almost uh, in the spirit of the TV show Twenty Four, which I, I love. The show 20, Twenty. I'm one of the few liberals who actually like the show Twenty Four. I've never seen it. I am, I'm like a liberal for the Jack Bauer method of like diplomacy, which basically means shooting terrorists in the knees and begging and, beg- and, and begging. Trust me, Madam President. Trust me. That's just basically his whole acting style, and I and I love it because there's nothing Jack can't do. Um, it's kind of like the Batman of the post nine eleven world in its own way. But um, we'll come around to that because your book does um, treat a fictional president. President Grafton, which yes, is one reason I, I actually like 24, because um, as an American of a as, as a man of a certain age, I am kind of obsessed with uh, things that happen in the White House. Uh, and the more testosterone-driven uh, side of them. So let's talk about your book and its protagonist, Harry Homburg, a pornographer who has the goods on the president, what has been uh, trend- trendy now to call it the compromat. The compromat, yes. Um, it's somehow he's obtained pictures of uh, President Grafton uh, getting it on with some gal. I and and he's about to publish them and is hoping that it'll save his failing uh, porn mag. Which is called? Which is called Harlot. 
Harlot. So just to give a little more background here, it's Har- Harlot Magazine and Harry Homburg, who uh, you told me earlier is not based on our former employer, Al Goldstein, the publisher yep. of Screw, although he certainly has certain resemblances to him. But I, I thought he was closer to uh, Larry Flint, who has always um, outed hypoc- hypocritical politicians. Mm-hmm. My idea of Harry Homburg, or the, the analogous figure to him, would be what if Bob Guccione Jr. had taken on the family business, not gone off in his own direction with spin, but had just taken over Penthouse? Uh, because as the story progresses, you see the history of the magazine. The magazine is founded by Harry Homburg's father, Irv, and his partner. Irv Van, Homburg. Uh, Irv Homburg. Love it. And Nat Spector. Um, nice, a, a fa- uh, nice Irish name. <laughs> uh, who's who's kind of a, a failed science fiction writer? I'm fascinated by all the crossover between science fiction and porn, and all the great Kilgore si- Trout. Kilgore Trout. Kilgore Trout, the greatest, the greatest like continuum between science fiction and pornography of all time. And who was Kilgore Trout again? Well, he was Kurt Vonnegut's uh, uh, almost alter ego, the guy who wrote these great, great, great science fiction books. Like, like he wrote like like eleven hundred books plus you know eighteen thousand short stories, but they always ended up in magazines that were populated by what. Um, Kurt Vonnegut referred to in Breakfast of Champions as wide open beavers. But, and he but didn't it wasn't try- Kurt Vonnegut writing it, though. Wasn't it somebody oh, else? Oh, later on, um, and, and I forget the guy, the name of the guy. It was, it was a uh, somewhat famous science fiction writer. Was it Philip Jose Farmer? Yes, it yeah. was. Um, wrote the book Venus on the Half Shell, right. which was based on an, an offhand idea in a Kurt Vonnegut book. He wrote an actual book by... Kilgore Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that Kurt Vonnegut was very happy about it, but if you but within Breakfast of Champions, right. there are many many he's plots. A he's a character. Well, he wrote a, he wrote the book. I believe it's called Now It Can Be Told. God, I, I didn't really think we we're going to go down the Kilgore Trout road. But um, my my favorite my favorite writer who doesn't even exist, which shows you how, you know how deep I am. Uh, but he wrote a book called uh, Now It Can Be Told, which is a letter to the reader saying that. I am the creator of the universe, and you're the only person with free will. Whoa. And the, the protagonist of Breakfast of Champions reads it and is just disturbed enough to believe it. Man, I haven't read those books in years. What's that noise? That's an atom bomb going on? Something like that. <laughs> that's, that's Dave at the knobs. That's my mind being blown. <laughs> I read those in my 20s, and I've forgotten almost everything my about exper- Vonnegut. My experience rereading Kurt Vonnegut over recent years is, like, Breakfast of Champions, for instance, when I first read it when I was very young, maybe... 13 years old I, I thought it was very funny mm-hmm. and I had the great illustrations and it was this guy losing his mind and you know, this great crazy stuff and, this, and Kilgore Trout and the wide open beavers and pictures of underpants and then the second time I read it I realized it was hopelessly depressing and then the lot more recently when I read it, I find it both very funny and hopelessly depressing, but is one of the most accurate description of the fucked upness of the human condition that, that I've ever read. Anyway, Kilgore Trout, and also in the book um, uh, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, he also, the protagonist has the largest collection of Kilgore Trout uh, you know, books and memorabilia because he just sends it out and they end up in these porn magazines and he doesn't follow it up. He doesn't have any record of it. It's very weird, but he's very prolific. And at one point, someone says, it's too bad he can't write. He has such great ideas. <laughs> hmm. I'll need to reread those. I, the only thing I remember from Breakfast of Champions is that some character has a penis that extends for miles and miles, but most of it is in uh, another dimension. It was one of these throwaway <laughs> ideas. It's the only it, thing that's it's, stuck it's, with it's me. very uh, Troutian. <laughs> Kilgore Trout. Is, is it a coincidence that Kilgore Trout and Trout Mask Replica are like my favorite things? Kilgore Trout Mask Replica. Okay, I'm on to something. But did, did Vonnegut 
actually write for any of the porn mags? Did did his fiction show up in Playboy or anything? Uh, he may, he seems like a perennial Playboy yeah. uh, candidate, but you know, Ray back Bradbury was Ray Playboy Bradbury, of course, yeah. of course, and also Bob Guccione, um, who always supported science fiction writers and. Uh, sort of far out, you know, theories and extraterrestrials, and launched with his wife Kathy Omni. Keaton Omni Magazine, mm -hmm. which I understand is being uh, rebooted very soon, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, far out. But speaking of Harry Homburg, the protagonist in your book, Resurrection Perverts, Hunter's Point. Thank you. Available everywhere. Click on Amazon. Please buy Danny's book because it really, it really, really is great. I think um, you'll enjoy it. Uh, man, I, I can't tell you how much I, I loved it. I, I really, I got to the last page and I was like angry that there wasn't more. <laughs> Um, well, I'm working on the next part. At least with Jack right Bauer now. with 24, I know it's coming next week. Um, again, the reason why I always like that show is because I like the gimmick that it's always a cliffhanger and that it's like in real time and end of show, let's go. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that. It's very old-fashioned, the cliffhanger. Um, but it's also very expensive to produce a book as lovely as this, I know. No, not so bad, actually. Uh, I, I printed it in China, Shenzhen, China. Did you go there yourself today? No, no, no. Um, company called Print Ninja, which was recommended by my distributor, and they did a great job with the printing. It's gorgeous. So why did you um, uh, decide to self-publish uh, versus like going down a you know, quote-unquote traditional publishing route, of which I think also is a dinosaur. So, I mean, this is just a fair question to anyone who is interested in getting their work out, because uh, internet, self-publishing, things like CreateSpace, Ninja Publishing, mm -hmm. uh, the world has sort of uh, taken away the barrier to entry to getting a book out. The, the real trick is distribution. Uh, I can make a book. I can design a book. I can get a book printed. But selling it has always been the hard part for me. Um, so it was really just a, a matter of finding somebody to help me distribute the book. And that guy is Mark Arsenault, who uh, runs Alternative Comics mm -hmm. um, out of Cupertino, California. So he's helping me distribute it. He's, I guess, what you would call a co-publisher. But, you know, for... All intents and purposes, I published it. I, you know. Well, you've done a few self-published books before. I have, but uh, the other books I've done have been anthologies, where forty or fifty other cartoonists were in the mix, and I was in there. That I was in there. Well, I, I wrote the Kinks story with Cliff Mott. That's that's right. In one of the legal action books. That's right. So which, many which years ago. Um, those I the greatest feud in publishing history. You and your buddy Ted. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's right. And, and last week he, he went up, uh, he went in court pro se. His yeah. lawyers abandoned him. He, he's suing I, the I, Los Angeles Times. And I love that you don't let it go either. I'm, no, so, never. I'm, so, I'm so pleased that you know how to hold a grudge, okay? <laughs> That's Ted Rawl, everybody, for anybody who's listening. Right? Uh, unto death, <laughs> I hold this grudge. He, I'll always be on your side, Alman. I will always you. be on your side. Thank you. Well, you know, you got to pick a side, even if it's Hitler versus Stalin, you have to. Yeah, oh, that's just, okay. Okay, <laughs> gotta pick a side. Okay, first of all, I'm with you because you've always shown me to be a great a man of great, you know, integrity and talent and, and, and work and uh, and deadline meeting. We're former oh, yes. we're former colleagues at Screw Magazine, of course. Um, Where I learned to meet deadlines once a week. Mm -hmm. People forget that about Screw Magazine. It was a weekly, and we responded in time to real things. I mean, sometimes covers and stories, editorials got done on press. It which, was, is, which is wonderful. It was just such a a, a a wonderful creative experience to be able to do something that related to a new story that was happening right then and there. 
So what's this week's cover? If, if we're doing screw, what's this oh, week's cover going to look like? I don't know. Don't, I think about it all the time, dude. I think about it all the time. And if, it, invariably, it's Donald Trump being bent over, being <laughs> by fucked Putin. up in the ass okay, <laughs> by, 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 by a team, a mule team, that includes Vladimir Putin, that uh, Russian lawyer woman, See, okay, I would, I would okay, be and Hillary Clinton with a strap on, while his children watch. <laughs> it, if that were the cover, I would be arguing with Kevin and saying, does it have to be Putin? Can it be the CIA? Can we have the head of the CIA fucking Trump up the ass? And I would say, sure, we'll mm-hmm. bring him on or mm-hmm. we'll do it next week. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love to draw that cover. Like, like, you, like you say, uh, you miss screw every day. I do miss it all the time because it was just a license to ill. Yeah. You know, I mean, there were no holds barred. And, and, and again, I don't know what. I mean, we, what we're allowed to even say or do or talk about anymore. The other day, I, I, desc- I described my home as a safe zone. I can't even believe I use that. <laughs> safe zone no, or a safe space? A safe space. Oh, is that what it is? Safe space. Safe space. Right? Um, my, my girlfriend was having a tough time at work. I said, when you come here, this is the safe space. You know, you leave, you know all that other stuff, you know, all that other, uh, the mishigas and spilkas of the world oh stop at our front door. Aww. That didn't really sound quite Jewish enough. Oh, no. That was pretty Jewish. <laughs> Um, but this is the language, you know, that we've become to learn. I mean, screw Al Goldstein was like a walking trigger point. Mm-hmm. Right? And God bless them. And, and Larry Flint, who I also worked for and learned a lot from. And what they taught me was, if you're funny, anything is okay. There are a handful of covers that I drew for Screw that I wouldn't uh, include in a book if I were doing a book, which oh, do tell. I am hoping to do. There are one or two covers. Gold, they were almost always Goldstein's ideas, uh, and some of them are a little bit too racist for me to. I, I think I even felt bad about them in the '90s, and I feel well. We we did. You know, I mean, name. honestly, I mean, it's all out there from us. Look, we drove that pretty hard, and we we offended everyone we possibly could in every manner we could possibly. Uh, think of and look at uh, Hustler magazine. I mean, the basis of their cartoons was the concept that uh, that a black man had a giant dick that was threatening to all, not just white women, but white men. Where white women loved it and was threatening to white men. And it just, I mean, you know, you were saying before though, but look even past that, which was a porn magazine. I was born out of Kentucky. Was a, you know considered a redneck magazine, even though. I knew a lot of intellectuals who really, really, really loved that humor because it was unfiltered. Um, well, but, just imagine the, the Chester the Molester in 2017. It's, like, it's unimaginable. Well, I can't believe what you were saying before, though, about the amount of, like, it, the racism that is accepted versus the racism that is not. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about, like, 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 and you remind me of the Sony commercial for the, the uh, handheld recorder. It's, it's, Chinese, it's a Chinese waiter joke. I remember anti-Chinese stuff in TV commercials going on well into the 70s, like uh, Calgon, ancient Chinese secret. And, uh, there was some... Brand some of, racism good, some racism bad. Yeah, the Chinese I, I, were I, I, still... Am well, I allowed to make Polish jokes anymore? I don't even know. <laughs> I, I get away with like, 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 like being an anti-Semite because I'm a Jew. That's the only way you can do it. <laughs> you, have, you can make fun of your own kind and... Nobody else. But those magazines pushed it pretty hard. We made fun. No, every, every ethnic group. I love what Louis C.K. said recently uh, during one of, one of his uh, acts. He says, I, I know racial stereotypes are awful, but the accents are so much fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets away with talking about fucking dead children. He, I mean, not only does he get away with it, I mean, he's, he's embraced for it because he's, he's, you know, he's a darling of a liberal elite intellectual fan base. And it, it is about context. 
of course, you know. But what he says is pretty online, and he's smart enough to know that. Lenny Bruce was smart enough to know that. I think Louis C.K. is a direct descendant of what Lenny Bruce taught us. And if anybody had done the Lenny, now the Lenny, famous Lenny Bruce routine is like, uh, God, I can't even say it on the radio. Religions Because I got, I got to use the N-word to say it on the radio. Relaxing colored people at parties. He says, are there any... N-words in the audience, and I like what Louis C.K. says about that, too. He says, I hate the N-word because it's making you say the actual word in your head. But that was Lenny Bruce's thing, and he said, sure, I see one. He sitting next to a spick, and next to him is two wops, and behind right. him is, is Gideon two kikes. And by the time he got done, he had you know, deflated, you know, he had really, like, diluted or really made meaningless any of these any racial jargon, any racial, like, insults, because he was just spouting words, and it was clearly that that was the point, it was coming from a point of satire and parody. I guess he diluted or diffused the word for the moment, but it doesn't last. You know, like, no. when we wake up the next day, it's still an unspeakable word. Well, Lenny Bruce, like, uh, like, like many other uh, great American artists, had a much smaller audience than he had a reputation after his death. Absolutely. You know, I mean, more people have heard of Miles Davis, unfortunately, than have actually heard his records. And even less John Coltrane. You know, and for all the people who've heard of Screw Magazine, not that many people have actually seen it. Well, I these young young adults today don't know what it is and never saw it. For I mean, us, it was part of our environment. You go to the newsstand. Well, it was a New York thing too. Yeah, it was very much a New York thing. I mean, Al was never able to really break out nationally the way the way he should have. In spite of uh, a few attempts, like the National Screw, which unless you consider Hustler, of course, the national brand of Screw. <laughs> which I hey, Larry Flint's the first guy to say, "I ripped everything off from Al." He'll say, "They'll yeah. say he goes, I love Al, and I stole everything from him." And Al will say, "Yeah, Larry ripped everything off from me, and I love him." True. It was all good. All right, tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about your book. We're going to talk about pornography, politics, what we can and cannot say. That is, if we're still allowed to come back after this break. I thought it was such a nice day out today. We'd play one of my favorite songs, Banned by the BBC, Summertime by the Trogs. You're listening to Arts and Seizures, Mike Edison, here with the great Danny Hellman. We'll be back in a second. Where the dress is so low You can see the sun on their Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-tan skin I like the summertime When the girls wear the dresses so high You can see the sun on their Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, and we're back. Mike Edison Arts and this is Seizures talking to local legend, raconteur, provocateur, and illustrator, supreme former screw cover artist, and author of the new book, Resurrection Perverts, Hunter's Point. Here with Danny Hellman. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, appara- and apparently public enemy. <laughs> and uh, Wonderama. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have those sound effects labeled Wonderama's public enemy, Dave? That's, that's Dave T. in the office. So I want, one thing I did want to talk to you about, Danny, um, as we whip across this 30 minutes, is your incredible Facebook and posts, okay? Because I, I love it because you are not letting... Anybody get by with nothing. I mean, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, obviously you're not very fond of the incumbent president, but you're, you are really, te- you always tore the shit out of Hillary supporters and the so called Bernie bros. And I've lost friends as a result of it. I, I don't know about tearing it to Bernie bros. I don't even know if Bernie bros exist. Uh, or maybe I am a Bernie bro and I can't tell that I am. But uh, yeah, but I, I was looking at, at uh, you know some stuff and you tore into everything that he's done where Wall Street was, invo- was involved or friendships he's made in his record as a senator. Where it's I mean I mean every you don't get to be a senator of the United States without making some uh, you know unseemly connections. You just don't. It's just not the way the system is based. Of course, but uh, compared to the Clintons, the Clintons are just. Filthy. A crime family uh, uh, running a pay-to-play racket. I, I don't disagree, not at all. And and yet, I, I want to tell you that like, some of my friends, because they're very smart and very astute, um, and this is the basis of liberal hypocrisy, and what our friend Al Goldstein probably hated more than anything is, you know, you know the pot calling the kettle black. Um, I mean, yeah, the Clintons. I love Hillary. She's the best. And, and she's, she was a bad candidate, okay? And for many of the reasons why Donald Trump is a bad candidate, okay? Which means she's taking money from questionable places, ties to Wall Street. She has sexual predators in her family and, and, and oddly entitled children. And Child. she's started uh, wars. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Libyan fiasco and the, the coup in Honduras. She's, just got, she's got blood on her hands. And as far as I know, Trump... If he has blood on his hands, it's it's only a, a it's money drops. it's money laundering. It's, it's not it's not. Uh, I mean, her her husband's record. I, I listen. Times were good under Clinton. It was like relative peace and prosperity as far as it goes. But the you know, and, and, but, and, and, and I think he set the stage for what would happen to the economy under Bush. I think, and, and I also remember things heading south during that last year of the Clinton administration. Like the economy was already hitting the skids, and for. Uh, you know, I mean, he really um, cultivated, uh, you know, you know, a following, and, and you know, um, among you know African Americans. But I think at the end, with his wealth, with his welfare laws and the crime bill, he sold them all out the first second he got in to be approved by white conservatives who could tip the other way. For me, the real eye opener was Thomas Frank's "Listen, Liberal." I would I would recommend that book to anybody. Uh, it just goes on about the Clintons and, and and how they hollowed out the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party stopped standing up for working people and started looking after corporate interests and you know, shipping jobs overseas and uh, the prison industrial complex exploded under Clinton. Absolutely. Privatizing prisons. Mm-hmm. Great idea. Because law enforcement is not supposed to be a revenue stream you know, yeah. um, our sponsor of the show, um, Heritage Foods, one of our sponsors, uh, Patrick Martins, uh, who's the founder of Heritage Foods, always says you shouldn't buy food from a company that's publicly traded because their responsibility is always going to be to the bottom smart. line and not to you. Absolutely. And they'll and they'll cut corners wherever they can. Absolutely. And I think that's a great metaphor for anybody in politics and Hillary Clinton's uh, Wall Street connections. I mean, she's not doesn't care about me. 
She does. I do, listen, I love Hillary Clinton because love is a big word, actually. That's love <laughs> with a small L. But at least I know she doesn't want my gay friends, my, my, my woman friends, my, my outlandish weirdo friends with purple hair who play in punk rock bands. She doesn't want them dead. She wants them to vote for her. You know, and she's aware of them, at least. Unlike anybody who comes to the, you know, the polls with an R after their name, uh, they do not care. They do not like women. They do not like gay people. They do not like anybody. I, it's palpable, Danny. I mean, well, that, I don't know if that's true of all conservatives. Certainly the libertarians don't. No, if you, I'm sorry, care. if you, you know, if, if you're in that fucking toilet with the rest of them, huh. if you have an R after your name, you're part of it. Listen, I embrace certain conservative values. A balanced budget, for instance. Who would be against a balanced budget? It would be insane to think that, like, debt is better than a balanced budget. I mean, I don't know how you run your household, but I prefer not to be in great debt. Okay? Same with the United States government. I believe the government's job is to protect me from the bad people. Not to protect me from myself, by the way, which is why I'm very libertarian when it comes to things like consensual crimes, drug use, and gambling, and, 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 and sexual uh, peccadilles, uh, whatever sort. But yes, stop terrorism. Well, I'm all for it. All right, but how about not creating terrorism? Like, Why are we continually destabilizing the Middle East and creating new generations of young Muslims who hate well, this country. Well, energy has been driving the agenda <laughs> for right. a long time. Liberal, liberal or conservative or Democrat, Republican, because almost liberal and conservative mean less when it's, it's just, they're just parties, just two brands. That's right. That's absolutely right. But I would like to see someone in the Republican Party say, I am a conservative, but I don't want to be hanging around with guys who hate women, who hate gays, who really want to like rip apart you know, the, the safety net for poor people who are against welfare, against health care, against they think uh, you know, anything that helps anyone, this whole pull up your bootstraps mentality. I mean, listen, I think everybody should have a job, but... This is a big country. It's a lot of people to manage, and there's a lot of poverty in this country, and people need to be helped. And maintaining the status quo, which is basically destroying the middle class to keep rich and poor, is not cool with me. And if you could say, yes, I'm conservative, and I believe in, again, strong military, sure, I hate terrorists. Balancing the budget and a smaller government, the best gov- the government that governs best is the go- government that governs least you know, kind of mentality. Well, I st- think that's strong- okay, but quit hating on me. A strong military, sure, but but a military that really is just there to enforce foreign policy on behalf of Exxon, that that's not doing us any good. That's no. only doing good for people in big oil, uh, you know. Especially with the climate, uh, it's unbelievable. We really need to move away from oil and and stop. Uh, messing with these countries like Venezuela. I don't know well, how you feel about what's going on in Venezuela, but to me it seems like... Uh, Can I just say unhappy and leave it at that? <laughs> Listen, well, th- everybody's unhappy, but you know, some people get into arguments with my conservative friends and they say, oh, you know, that's the the fault of the what's Chavez's form of government, the, the Bolivar party or something. Ah. Yeah, they'll blame it on on their socialism, but clearly the 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 forces of capitalist evil are trying to well, force that that current government out of power. I think what the Republicans are very best at is getting people to vote for things that are against their own personal sure, best interests. Sure, it's fucking unbelievable. It, it, it truly is. Um, Let's get let's get back to you though, Danny. More about you <laughs> um, and uh, your illustrations, which everyone uh, listening um, has, has seen. And please uh, uh, look up Danny Hellman on your internet machine, and you'll say, "Oh my God, it's that guy! <laughs> it's that guy!" Because he's been um, everywhere. I mean, I, 
you know, we, we came sort of with the New York Press. We worked at Screw uh, t- together. And we're all sat. Have you been seeing, like, every known magazine in the world, I'm pretty sure? Pretty much. Uh, I've been in countless magazines. Newspapers. Uh, alternative weeklies around the country. and uh, But th- at least for me, I feel like that that work is is dwindling. You know, print is clearly dying. And uh, a lot of the magazines I used to work for, if they're in business at all, they've cut their budgets back so far that they can't afford much illustration. Quality illustration. Yeah, so the stuff I'm doing these days, it's a little bit of editorial illustration, but I'm also doing artwork for skateboard decks and doing gig posters for comedians. And oh, a gig poster. Funny you mentioned that, because I have it here in my notes. Uh, your CBGB Festival Flyer. Yes. And a, a common topic. Which one of your bands is on there? Are there how no, many? none. None? None. You're not on that poster? No. Every band in the East Village that here no. is on that poster? No. You weren't in the show? No, I was not. And you know what? I wouldn't want to be in that show. Because it's, it's, I actually played at CBGB. The Scum okay? I played at CBGB's more times you know, than, I've, than, than, than you know, most people listening to the show have had hot meals. Um, I can't believe that one of your bands isn't on that poster. Well, well you know, I mean, playing... Every band in the East Village. And I don't understand why one of them didn't say, this is not CBGBs. This is a brand bought by some hedge funders. Oh, oh wait a minute. I'm confused. Oh, you're talking about that new CBGB stuff. Oh, yeah. I was, for some reason, I was thinking of that Scumfest poster. You must have Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I was on that. That's, 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 that's early 80s. Oh, that's a, that's yeah, a real yeah. poster. Oh, 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 right. oh yeah, the yeah. CBGBs thing? Uh, the, the, the recent yeah, yeah. thing? Uh, Hey, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't regret it, the gig. It was a pain gig. <laughs> absolutely. But I just remember, this is one of those things. It's like, and they're uh, not doing it anymore. It no, I noticed. I, you know, I, you know, I, I kind of said it at the time. I said, this can't last. These guys think it's a strong brand. And all these bands are saying, oh, my God, I'm playing at the CBGB's Festival. As if it were an authentic experience, which is what everyone's kind of looking for these days, an authentic experience. Because in the world of the Internet and dying print, um, I mean, authentic in quotes, or in italics, or um, some millennial uh, cryptography. I don't know that it really exists anymore. Oh, it exists in this it. neighborhood. Just take a walk around and look at all the beautiful street art here in Bushwick. That's that's as authentic you know, as art gets. There, 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 are, there are graffiti tours that walk around this neighborhood. No shit. I, mean, I see actual tours like you know, pointing at spray paint, and it's absolutely incredible. I and, love coming to Bushwick to see. And that it boggles great. my mind. Oh, Dave, you're young. You don't understand. You know, it boggles my mind. You know, seeing like uh, on Facebook. I'm saying I'm anti this. um, People always posting old pictures of the East Village. Only in the 80s. This is when, you know, we we were, you know, maybe not fully formed, but we were in our 20s. And it looked like, it was insane what it looked like. You know, it looked like. like, Well, that was apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic. It really did look like that. It's hard to believe. And we loved it. But the street art today is far better than what was going on in the 80s. That was you know, just graffiti, you know. Well, I'm graffiti referring art. more to urban blight, but yeah. but um, that that deserved a laugh, Dave. That was when you should have hit the button. Um, no, I th- well, really- I think um, street art has advanced like so many other things have. nice thing about street art, of course, is you, you're not just projecting your laptop on the wall, I hope. You got to get out there with a can of spray paint. Yeah, they're you do it. physically painting it on the front of some garage. You know, it's real art. It's not filtered by some gallery owner or some corporate sponsor. It's just some artist painting something on the wall. Uh, to me, that's the most interesting art that I see happening now here in Bushwick and over in Long Island City at uh, Welling Court. Mm-hmm. One of the good reasons to go to Long Island City, uh, check out Welling Court. And uh, What about you, you? 
Tag, tagging the local uh, garage door? No, I'm I'm too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also I, don't, I know exactly how old you are because August second, nineteen sixty four. We share a birthday. We need to figure out what exact minute you were born. And what exactly I, was I, was born, born. I was born in the morning, around nine in the morning, as, as I've been told. I don't know what, what time it was when I was born, but also I was born in an Air Force hospital in Germany, so the time is all out of whack. Oh, you know, well, well, it depends on where you are, time being be a relative s- thing. Six hours behind or forward, but it is the same day. Well, when we come back, we'll talk more about that. As always, it's been the fastest half hour on the Internet tonight. And whether you're in Germany, New Jersey, Bushwick, Mars, Saturn, it doesn't matter. Um, we're talking about Earth Minutes, and it flew by. Listen, everybody, seriously, Danny's new book is called Resurrection Perverts, Hunter's Point. Danny Hellman, spelled like it sounds, find him. We've known each other Not for Not like long- the mayonnaise, only one N. Okay. The mayonnaise Just, is spelled with we, two N's. We've been friends for a long time, and I'm a great admirer of yours. Uh, back you, at you. you. And uh, I'm really thrilled that you're back, and please come back again. Danny Hellman, Resurrection Perverts. Uh, just, just, you know, Google the motherfucker and uh, find out his outrages. You'll see his compromise will come <laughs> right up in any number of Screw Magazine covers. Um, man, I can't believe the shit that we used to do. But it was funny. I'm hoping to do a book of my old Screw covers next year. I, I, I would love to see a, uh, I would love to see that in the gallery show. Uh, Count gallery on, show? I don't see that happening. Count on me, whatever you need, because I'm behind that 100. Um, percent I know our old friend Kevin Hine, the art director, mm-hmm. screw, is back there. And and, 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 and and by the way, not I mean, you did more screw covers than anyone, but the amount of artists that walked through that office and did covers, uh, every famous underground Robert Crumb, Spain Rodriguez, uh, God, the, the list is endless. It, it's un- unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It was at some point. I mean, being on a screw cover was a rite of passage. You had to do it. Everybody in New York who wasn't a, a Mormon or a Quaker, would, would, any cartoonist would go to screw for a quick 150, 200 bucks. And writers, too, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. and I got in there, like, you know, right, right, reviewing peep shows. But I'll tell you what, it was 50, it was 50 bucks, but the 50 bucks was there. The day it was supposed to be there, you know? Never a problem getting paid. Sleaziest magazine in the world. They paid on time all the time. Can't say so much for very large, famous publishers with their names on buildings in midtown Manhattan. But the money was nothing compared to the freedom, the creative freedom we had. It was incomparable. I've never... It it was incredible. Yeah. I know. I, you know, I I think about that job all the time. It was by far the best job I ever had. Okay. Arts and Seizures next week. We're coming back. Uh, We're coming back with the Edison Rocket Train. That's my own little operation of blues and gospel because we're celebrating a return. We're going to be playing at Pianos Friday, uh, July 28th with the great Mr. Airplane Man, who will also be making an appearance on Arts and Seizures. Please tune in and see you guys next week. Enjoy the summer and get one of these, like, slushy drinks on the... uh, They're good. (laughs) I'm ready for my second. All right, let's do it. See you guys. Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.